So this morning, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be talking about the Christmas story. And what we've been doing during this Advent season is we've been um, taking these ancient hymns that the church has sung for hundreds of years, and we've been marrying them to Scripture for the purpose of awakening us during this Advent season, for us, a people of waiting, to know how to wait and and what way do we wait together. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the Christmas story with the song, O Holy Night. And maybe you remember this song, we're going to sing it after the sermon, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. This is the song where, you know, that moment where the singer goes, you know, fall on your knees, you know. Hear the angels' voices, O night divine. And it's amazing because, I don't know about you, but music tends to make me a bit nostalgic about Christmas. And uh, growing up, Christmas for me was this magical experience where we would travel to my grandparents' little small, small farmhouse. And uh, all my cousins would descend upon this little small farmhouse that couldn't have been more than 1,100 square feet with one bathroom and me and all 20 of my cousins had sleeping bags and we slept all over the living room and the dining room and on the floor in the kitchen. Like it just looked like little caterpillars all over the house. And we slept under uh, my grandfather's Christmas tree and he was a country man. Like he was a game warden his whole life and just leather skin and his Christmas tree. He would have been shocked to know what we paid for Christmas trees. He would have been shocked that anybody actually bought a Christmas tree. He'd go into the back of his farm and cut down the ugliest tree he could find and just nail two-by-fours on the bottom of it and stick it. And he even didn't, he used outdoor Christmas lights on his indoor Christmas tree. It was amazing. Probably a big fire hazard, but we would sleep under that tree. And you've heard the stories from me that every Christmas morning as a child, we woke up to gunfire. Because my grandfather would come through, he had this little pistol he used to train dogs that shot blanks, and he'd be running through the house, dodging sleeping bags, shooting that gun on a big ball of cotton in one hand, shouting, somebody just broke into the house and was trying to steal our Christmas presents, and he would say, but I think I got him. And he said, but I grabbed his beard as he was going out the door. It tells you a lot about me, doesn't it? That's my family. And we'd be shouting, Granddaddy, that was Santa Claus. You shot Santa Claus. And he goes, no, I think I missed him. Go check the tree and see if he got all our presents. And it's really, it's, it's easy during Christmas because, I mean, you have memories like that. And some are good and some are bad. It's easy for us to begin to think that Christmas is about hanging on to nostalgia. It's about hanging on to precious moments that we've got pictures of. And then this year comes and we've got COVID and, you know, we're separated from our families and some of you have lost friends and families and it just feels like this year just keeps punching us again and again and people are marching in the streets and there's political turmoil and just chaos and the running joke now is we can't wait for 2020 to be over with and it is a running joke because 2021 is coming. I know. And we have to ask the question... Where, where is God in this? I mean, come on. One of my favorite authors, Larry Crabb, has this saying that there's only three kinds of men in this world. There are dead men, 
there are addicted men, and there are fully alive men. Um, and when you think about that, you have to wonder, does God fall into one of those categories too? Is God dead? Because it seems like chaos. Is, is God addicted? In other words, is God distracted? Is, is he numb and passed out in a lazy boy somewhere and doesn't see what's going on? Or is it possible that God is really fully alive? So let's, uh, let's come to this passage in Luke chapter 2. And what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, we've said as a people of waiting, the first thing that we do when we come into Advent is we remember that we hold trouble and we also hold peace at the same time. Then a few weeks back, we talked about this. We're reminded that we're a people at rest and that we're active resters. And then last week, we talked about that we're a people of worship. And today, what we're going to do right before Christmas is we're going to remember that a waiting people never just waits in here. A waiting people goes out that door and we become world changers. In fact, we are to go out into this world and actually be those that are fully alive to bring change. Luke chapter 2. This is in uh, verse 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out on a field nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying God and praising him for all the things they had heard and seen. And which they were just as they had been told. Lord, would you allow us this morning to take this very familiar passage of Scripture and, Father, um, see you in it, see ourselves, and to, um, Lord, grow in your grace. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, this is quite a story. And if we had time this morning, which we don't, but we could get into your traditional view of what actually happened that night in Bethlehem uh, and probably what actually did happen in Bethlehem. I mean, Joseph was royalty. He was a descendant of David. And this was called the town of David. 
And the idea that we think sometimes that there was an innkeeper that ran a hotel there in Bethlehem, and when he saw them, he sneered at them, you know, and was probably smoking a cigarette, you know, and telling them, there's no room here, go away. That's probably not what happened. I won't get into all that probably did happen, but we can almost be assured that Mary, this girl of maybe 15, did not give birth alone. There were probably lots of midwives in that town, and there's no way in that culture, in that time, in that place, that the women of that city would have let a child give birth all by herself. And it's spectacular when you read the story, but there's something strange that happened here. Something uh, that's never happened before this moment, and something that has never happened since that moment. And it's this thing with, it's this thing with angels. I mean, it's like angels are all over this thing. Like in verse 9, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Uh, I don't know, maybe you've had an experience where you've seen an angel. Uh, maybe you've had an experience where you thought you saw an angel, you know, back your freshman year in college, you were experimenting. You know, I don't know, but uh, what it lets us know is if you ever see an angel, it's probably going to be a terrifying experience. That everywhere in scripture, whenever there's an angel that shows up, people want to fall down in fear or they want to fall down in worship. That this is a life-altering experience. In fact, it, it's so common whenever people see angels that the first thing out of angels' mouths, they got to get tired of this, you know, is saying, don't be afraid. And in this case, it's the same. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So there's more because it's not just one angel. That was terrifying enough. Um, but then it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those whom he finds his favor rest. It's this picture of this one angel now became like a sky of angels, like like this endless display of row after row after row after row of angels. In fact, it says uh, many that interpret the Greek here would say that that word heavenly host actually could be interpreted as heavenly armor or army, that this was the army of the host of God. These, <laughs> let's just stop for a bit. It's just imagine what an angel looks like. Now I want you to imagine what an angel warrior looks like. And then I want you to imagine that you're standing in front of thousands of them, and they're singing. It's like they've been waiting since the creation of the world that there's going to come a moment where the world is going to know that God has become man. All of creation has been waiting. Romans chapter 8 says it has been groaning internally, waiting for this moment. And it's like all these angels have been on the side of the stage just waiting. When's our cue? When's our cue? And here's the moment, and they come out in all their armor and their display. And I guess, I don't, we don't have time this morning to talk about what does a warrior angel do? I don't know. Uh, we don't have time to kind of research Daniel and the books of the Bible that talk about this. All I'm having to say is this was a display that has never happened in the history of the world. And it hasn't happened since. That the heavenly host would go public. And I, wanna, I want you to know that I, I can get my head around that. I can imagine. Can you imagine that? You can kind of imagine what that's like. Here's what I can't imagine. 
This, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it this week. The greatest display of heavenly host in the history of the world was to a couple of shepherds. To shepherds. Like, and not a lot of them. Like, just a couple. What is, what is God doing? Like, seriously. And let's go back to the passage. Look in verse 8. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields. These weren't just your average shepherds. These were shepherds that lived in a field. They lived in a field. Like, if somebody came to you and said, hey, man, where do you live? And you go, I live in Green Hills. They're like, oh, that's awesome. Where in Green Hills do you live? Well, do you know where St. B's is? Yeah, I, I live back behind St. B's. Really? I live over there. What street are you on? Well, you know that big soccer field behind St. B's? Yeah, that's where I live. What? I live in a field. If you say that to people, they're going to laugh. Like They lived in a field. And let me tell you something else about shepherds. They were despised. I mean, historians tell us that they were despised in everyday life. In general, they were considered second-class citizens, and in every way they were considered untrustworthy. And they lived in a field. Did I say that? They lived in a field. It also says that shepherds had not just lost their widespread uh, appeal. It says eventually they, they forfeited all social acceptability. Historians said they were so moved to not just the lower class, they were moved lower than the lower class. And did I tell you, they lived in a field. In the Minisha Judaism writings, this is the, the recording of oral laws for their communities. They described shepherds as incompetent. They even said that no one should ever feel obliged to rescue a shepherd if they fall down into a pit. Come on, you're kidding me. It's like they were so discarded as undesirables that if you came across one in big trouble, just keep on moving. And did I tell you, they lived in a field. Shepherd, they were so despised. Do you know that in this oral history, they actually recorded that if a shepherd witnessed a crime, you can't bring them to court to give testimony because their testimony was ruled out because they were a shepherd. They were so untrustworthy, nobody trusted that whatever that person said standing on the, on the stand would even be near the truth. That's how disrespected they were. You know, they, they, they also said if you were to buy wool or milk or a baby sheep from a shepherd, it was forbidden by law to buy any of these things from a shepherd because they, they assumed that they were stolen goods. Wow. In fact, some Jewish leaders took great exception with Psalm 23 because it compares God to the good shepherd. And their, their, their challenge to the, interpret, the Hebrew interpretation of that psalm is there's no way that God would ever put himself in a position of being called a shepherd. And did I tell you? They lived in a field. <laughs> I mean, honestly... I mean, I would understand, like, if there was something spectacular about these two shepherds, that they were a cut above. I would understand if they were like the Rhodes Scholars of shepherds. I would understand if somehow they had won the national championship of shepherding. 
like if there was, you know, their university, you know, go UT, anchor down. We're the national champs of shepherding. I would even understand if they were like leaders of the Sustainable Shepherding Foundation to where they were showing a new way to herd sheep, to where they cut down on methane gas and bring lamb chops into the inner city. I, or I would even understand if they were musicians and they could write songs about the heavenly host. I'm just telling you, it seems like a glorious waste of heavenly host to me. I'm honest with you. I'm like, that seems like it's... A few years back, we went and saw the Rolling Stones at um, the Titan Stadium. And we were there with about, I don't know how many people are in this, can the stadium hold? Maybe 60,000 people. So we were there with about 50,000 people, uh, you know, and we were sitting so high up in the, in the arena that we could get no satisfaction because we were so far away. And that was great, wasn't it? I didn't plan that. It just came to me. Like, and I don't live in a field. And, you know, we, when we went there, we kind of expected to sit up there because there was nothing spectacular about us, including our wallets. And so we, we sat up there to watch the big jumbotron and realized we could have had a better view of this at home or on the Internet. But we were there. Now imagine that you show up at the stadium and you walk into the arena and there's one person sitting in a chair right in front of the stage. And that's all that's coming to the show. You would want to know what is spectacular about that one person that they get the entire arena just to themselves. Not just that, you'd have to go, Mick, what does that one person have that you're going to do your entire show, and which he runs the entire show? I mean, that's why he's so skinny, you know? And you would, you would want to know what, what is that person to you? that you would do your entire show just for that one person. That's what I've just been racking my brain about this week. God, there, there was no cameras. There was no recording devices. This was maybe two, maybe three lowest class citizens in this entire culture. This is the people that had, fall down, they had fallen down the ladder of matter. They did not matter. They were born at the bottom of the rung. Why? It seems like a tremendous waste of heavenly host. Doesn't it? Am I just making this up? Like, are you with me so far? And I want you to grasp how unreasonable this is. I want you to grasp how this is something you would never do. Because I want you to grasp how other God is. Because this other God He, holiness was going public, and that's what glory is. And holiness was going public, not to the rich, not to the famous, not to the masses. Holiness was going public to the lowest of the low, the most insignificant, the most nobody matters, nobody cares, living in a field. And we should stop as the community of people that say that we follow that holy, that holy is who we are, we should stop for a minute and consider what is God trying to tell us in the Christmas story. And Jesus said it time and time again, didn't he? He said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came, you know, the healthy doesn't need a doctor. He said, I come for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. And Jesus did this throughout his entire ministry, didn't he? 
I mean, we think about the woman at the well. She was, she, she was at the bottom rung of the ladder that doesn't matter because she didn't matter. She had committed sexual sin again and again and again and relational failures again and again and again and now she had become a community outcast again and again and again and she's hiding from everybody in her city and yet Jesus says to her, the first time he tells anybody, I am the Messiah, to her. But Jesus did that to Zacchaeus. I mean, he was a wee little man. You want to talk about on the low rung of the ladder. Let's hear it. Shout out for all the short people. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Just want all you tall people to hear that, Benjamin. All right. But he did that with leprosy. We were at Costco yesterday, and I was in Costco, and that's the first time I've been to Costco in a long time. And it was so packed and it was so crowded that people were really brushing against my shoulder. And I was like, there is a pandemic going on. I wanted to say, get away from me. Back off. And I'm not a germaphobe, but Jesus never said that. Even to the lepers of his time, the outcast, he drew them near. The ones that didn't matter, mattered to him, the sick, the crippled. And if you have any time to go and read what goobers the disciples were, it was almost like Jesus said, I'm going to choose the three stooges to be my disciples to show you what holy is. It's true, isn't it? And here's what it challenges And this is where we got to get personal now in this sermon. Why do you matter? Every one of you has some kind of ladder. And your ladder of matter, that's kind of cool. Your ladder of matter, what is the ladder that you're you're, uh, climbing? Is it, hey, I matter because of what I do? that you matter because you've had certain success in the workplace or you've chosen a career or you have a hobby that maybe you're the world's fastest Rubik cube guy like I don't know I mean we have all kinds of standards for how you matter and oftentimes my matter ladder is what makes me miserable because when I stop and I I assess do I matter enough on my matter ladder we go I don't And shame begins to speak to us. Some of you think you matter because of the way you look and you look in the mirror and it's the place of your greatest joy and it's the place of your greatest sorrow because you have something in your mind that says I matter when and you look in the mirror and those wins when they happen and they're rare and they're few like or you stand on the scale and that number says this is what makes you matter that there are moments of glory and there are moments of insignificance. Some of you uh, matter because of what you have. I mean, what you drive or your address or what you live in. Some of you matter because of who you know. Some of you are on the matter ladder of who you're related to. Maybe you have a name or somebody in your family is famous or whatever. (laughs) This was uh, a few years back. I was with a friend and we were at the tap room having lunch. And there was this table right next to us. And if you've been there, there are kind of benches on the back wall So I was sitting on the bench, and the bench runs the length of the wall, and next to us was a very robust table of middle-aged ladies. And it was pretty obvious quickly that they were tourists that were here for the full Nashville experience. And they're laughing, and they're having their mid-morning cocktails, and they're getting a little loud. It's kind of hard to have a conversation. And one of them keeps looking over at us, and it just became obvious until she just leaned in, and she goes, excuse me, I hate to interrupt you. 
I said, no, 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 how can I help you? And she goes, she literally said this, are you somebody? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a great question. How do you answer that question? Well, do you, to my kids? Uh, to my wife? Because those may be different answers. I knew what she was asking. You know what she was asking. Are you somebody that matters so much that I want to know who you are so that when I go back to my hometown, I have a story that matters? And what Jesus, I think what Jesus is doing, what our Heavenly Father is doing in this story is he's taking the ones that don't matter at all. And he's going, watch how I'm going to display my glory to people that I'm not even going to put their names in the Bible. We don't even know their names. And you know what's so great about that? is our father is showing the extravagance of his love. So when Midtown first started, some of y'all around back then, and we were all at Rocket Town and the place you couldn't get in, it was the big music venue. I remember one day I was finishing up, we were cleaning up the building and we were folding chairs and it was me and just a handful of people in the building and this girl comes up to me and she goes, hey, I'm a Vanderbilt student and this is the last time I'm gonna be here, I'm graduating. She goes, we've never met. She goes, but I've been coming to Midtown for about three years. And I just wanted to say thank you for the work of Midtown here. Um, because I became a Christian here. I met the Jesus who said that I matter. And I just want to thank you and all the people that work at Midtown. And I'm walking out to my truck, and I'm, I'm just thinking about that. And I'm just, it's so sweet. And I was just thanking the Lord. And I don't know if this was the Holy Spirit or my own imagination. I, sometimes I can't tell. But here's what I heard. If everything you've done for the last 10 years was just for her, is that okay? I sat in my truck and cried because I had to say yes, that we have a father that's so extravagant that he uses all our energies to go after one daughter to display his love, a father's love for his one daughter. And he's asking us, hey, come on, be with me in that. That's the kind of God that we serve. That is our Jesus. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, but because of his great love for you, listen to this great love for you. God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. Even when we were in our dead in our transgressions. In other words, because of his love for you, when you were spiritually dead, God came after you. Even when you were at the lowest rung of the ladder that matters. <laughs> in heavenly places, God came after you. That's our Jesus. And, you know, let me, this isn't, I want to go to Ephesians because let me read the rest of this passage. That as God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressing its kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith and this not from yourself it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. In other words, all of us are like those shepherds living in the field. All of us need that kind of heavenly display of God's grace to us. All of us need a God to say, 
even though you don't believe that you matter. You matter, and I'm coming after you. And listen to the next verse. He didn't just come after us. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Or it could be translated, his artwork. Or it could be translated, his poetry. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And, and here's what I'm, I'm encouraging you to in Advent. That Jesus is displaying his glory. And then we see that the shepherds, they went and told everybody about what they'd witnessed. That when we experience holy and holy comes and, and transforms our lives and makes us holy through the work of Christ on the cross, holy always goes. Holy always moves to those that live in the field. Holy always keeps moving toward the least of these. And Jesus is inviting us to join him. One of my friends, Amy Sherman, she runs the Center on Faith and Community up in D.C. and has written a lot on how the faith community should move toward those that live in fields. And she says, God is passionate for the poor and the vulnerable. He is passionate that his church imitate that, that passion. More than 400 scripture verses make this plain. Jeremiah 22.16 says that defending the cause of the poor is what it means to know God. That James 1.27 says showing that pure religion involves visiting widows and orphans in their distress. That John 3.17 says if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in you? Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. And Matthew 25 warns that if we fail to care for the least of God's children, if we neglect the naked and the poor and the hungry, we will be guilty of neglecting Christ himself. There is no confusion that holy went public to the least of these. And when holy comes into our lives, it moves us to the least of these. And we don't move to the least of these as a condition to get God's love. We move to the least of these because we have God's love. So this weekend, I'm a golf fan. And it is um, an amazing weekend because Tiger Woods is back playing golf. And he's playing in a tournament that's a family tournament where you get to bring a family member with you to play alongside of you. And this weekend, for the first time, he brought his 11-year-old son, Charlie. Have any of you seen this? And it's, it's so much fun. Like, he's a killer golfer, too. Let me tell you, he's legit. That little 11-year-old is a better golfer than I will ever be, which is depressing. Because that's the ladder that matters for me. And I'm at the lowest rung. <laughs> Here's what's amazing. If, if you get a chance, just go watch ESPN and just watch the highlights. Just watch them, how they move together. They walk alike. <clears throat> they have the same mannerisms after they hit the ball, what they, how they spin the club. You, there's just no, that is, he is his father's son. There is just no doubt about it. That's us. We're our father's son. Our father thought it is good for a father to be extravagant to two shepherds that you will never know and that society has said not worthy that's our father and when we 
when we have the Father living within us, we begin to walk like our Father and talk like our Father and move like our Father. And it moves us to the least of these. And it does something beautiful, like it did with the shepherds. It turns our terror into joy. So this week, um, you guys have been an amazing community. As y'all know, um, our farm up in the Napier housing complex, uh, the farmer's co-op has been feeding a lot of people, y'all have, through your ministry in that community. And over the last three or four weeks, we've been collecting toys so the kids up in that community at Napier Elementary School can have a Christmas. And so the, the offices back here have just been the storage facility for all the toys. They've just been stacked everywhere. And Thursday morning, I got here really early and nobody was here. And it's kind of fun to come into a really quiet office and just spend a little uh, moment. And I open the door and I take two steps in and I hear a baby crying. And it's not like a baby crying, like... I, you know, I'm just waking up for a nap. It was like one of those horror movie creepy baby crying. You know, like, like there, this child may have uh, some foreign entity possessing it, you know. And I'm going to be honest with you, okay. I, it was scary. It was like, you know, the sun's just coming up. And I'm walking into this 100-year-old stone house back here. And I hear a baby crying. A baby crying. And I'm sneaking around the corner, and I look around the corner. I'm just waiting to see a little baby with a knife there, you know. And I peek around, and there's no baby. And I take another step, and the baby cries again. And it was one of those little babies' gifts that was in a bag that somebody was sending to Napier that had a motion sensor in it that whenever it feels something move, it cries. I don't know why anybody would want that. But I started laughing, you know, that kind of laughter that's like, ah, I'm not scared, ah, to real laughter. And I'm just saying that, that what our Jesus is doing is a bad illustration. Stay with me. There's something powerful. There's something life-changing. When we're so terrified by the love of the Father that's saying things to us that we don't believe. When your Father kisses you and says, you're beautiful, and inside you're going, no, I'm not. When our Father kisses us and says, you're enough, and we go, no, I'm not. And our Father kisses us and says, you belong, and we go, no, I don't. And it's terrifying when your Father that is so extravagant that would put on the greatest display the world has ever seen for two shepherds that we will never know is moving toward you and waging war on your ladder that matters and saying, let it go. That's terrifying. It's terrifying. Until we see our Father and realize He loves us and it turns to joy. And then that joy is the life that we live outside these doors. We go into this city. This city should be different because we live in it. This city should be different because you live in it. Those that are marginalized should be in a better place in this city because you're here. Because you look like your father. You walk like your father. 
and you've put down the ladder that matters and you've picked up the truth that you do matter. And the one that's in you, the kingdom of God is coming, but it is here and it's in you. And he's saying, take that kingdom down and take it into the world. That's what Advent teaches us. While we wait, we spread the holy. That's what we do because we're like our dad. So I went back and <clears throat> read this week the, the song, O Holy Night. Let me read you the last verse. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppressions shall cease. Sweet hymn of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, oh praise his name forever. His power and his glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Let's pray and worship his name. Father, thank you that you are the chain breaker. Thank you that you are the one that sets the oppressed free. Thank you that you are the one that moved toward those that don't matter like us. And you display your glory of grace on us and love on us and change that ladder that we climb to now being your kids, reflecting the way our Father talks, the way our Father walks, the way our Father moves. That during this Advent season, we'd be reminded that you're around. We are your ambassadors for your kingdom of love and grace that's extravagant even under the least of these. In Christ's name we pray, amen.